Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. And hope your Monday is going well. It's Monday, October 23rd, 2023. Great to be back behind the microphone here. And a big thank you to my wonderful producer, Andrew, and to Sherry Brownbring and Vanessa Denhagarmo for helping out uh, with the program. Appreciate that. So we had a great pilgrimage, 45 women from around the country, so many different states represented, such as Texas, Ohio, Michigan, California, and more and more. I mean, it was just a great representation. Minnesota, of course, many women from Minnesota. Great week. Uh, We'll talk about that as the days go on because I have some beautiful insights from our spiritual director, Father John Clockman, who joined me for the interview with Kelly on Thursday on the program, if you recall. And he sent me his homily notes. So at some point this week, I just want to share them with you, especially his notes regarding what it's like to remember the importance of remembering. His homily on Thursday's Mass, hindsight brings insight for foresight. That is such a catchy saying. Hindsight brings insight for foresight. A number of great lessons learned along the way we'll share in the future. And I also heard they had a great radio conference last week, the EW10 Global Catholic Radio Network, bringing all the affiliates together. And I know Matt Swain was there, and Ray Grendy was there, and our own Mike Jones from Ave Maria, and of course the great staff, Jack Williams and company, and all the great people, Doug Keck and Tom Price, and the wonderful folks at EW10 Radio were there as well in Alabama for the radio conference. But I was leading a pilgrimage, so I couldn't be there. Wouldn't it be great to have the ability to bilocate, at least sometimes? Anyway. I digress. It's going to be a great show today. You are going to learn an awful lot because we have Greg and Julie Alexander on from the Alexander House who are going to talk with our Mornings on Marriage this week, or this month I should say, for October, talking about being a servant spouse. What does that mean and why is it so important? They will share and explain. Then we're going to chat with our friend Melissa Henson and she does such a great job with the Parents Television Council and she's going to share with us why there is a lack now of family programming and how it's decreased over the years. They've actually done some updated research on this, so it's super important. Families need not subscribe, an analysis of the scarcity of family content on streaming platforms. So the PTC did the research, finding that across the major streaming services such as Apple TV, Hulu, Max, Netflix, Paramount, Peacock, and Prime Video, most of the original content on streaming platforms is rated for mature audiences only, vastly overshadowing TVG and TVPG rated programming. So what's a family to do? Melissa will address that coming up on the program about 39 minutes past the hour. And then we'll wrap up with Gail Buckley-Berenger and our scripture verse of the week. So what is the weather going to be doing? Well, let's take a look from the National Weather Service. Moisture from Tropical Storm Norma will aid in heavy rain potential across parts of Texas. We have a slight risk of excessive rainfall forecast over the southern plains for tomorrow and Wednesday, and then a few strong to severe thunderstorms capable of producing hail that's possible across parts of the upper Midwest tomorrow. And then we have an early winter storm. Oh, here we go. That word snow, likely to dump heavy snow in the northwest beginning tomorrow, if you can believe that. So if you look at the map, you can see that in Washington State, and also in certain parts of the east and a little bit in the Midwest. So we've got some rain and other types of troublesome weather developing, but nothing major right now, just some rain and early snow. It is three minutes past the hour. You are listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We have a lot of news to get through. The Holy Father speaking with the President on the phone. Holy Father addressing the situation in Israel at the Angelus yesterday and much more.
So let's get started on a Monday morning edition of Catholic Connection with our news, Monday, October 23rd. On Sunday afternoon, the Holy Father is speaking by phone with President Joe Biden. The Pope and the President, according to Vatican News, speaking about the situations of conflict in the world and the need to identify paths to peace. The Pope and the President speaking again for about 20 minutes, according to the Vatican Holy See Press Office. Earlier yesterday, the Holy Father did renew his appeals for peace and restraint in the war in the Holy Land. He said he's very concerned and grieved at the Angelus Prayer. I pray and am close to all those who are suffering and the hostages, the wounded, the victims, and the families. He lamented the worsening humanitarian situation in Gaza and blasts at the Anglican Hospital and Greek Orthodox Parish there as well. Meanwhile, as Lisa Zangarini reports, the Holy See's permanent observer to the UN is calling for respect of the rule of law amid new armed conflicts, both at the international and national levels. Addressing the Sixth Commission, the legal arm of the UN General Assembly, Archbishop Kacha recalled that the Holy See has consistently promoted the principle of the rule of law as an essential foundation for justice, peace and human solidarity. Indeed, he said, justice is indispensable to the construction of a world in which conflicts are resolved peacefully and where the law of the more powerful does not prevail. Archbishop Kacha therefore stressed that the new armed conflicts emerging both at the international and national levels should not weaken the UN's commitment to the rule of law. This principle stands at the service of the human person and there can be no exceptions to its application even in times of emergency, he said. The Vatican Observer further remarked that the true essence of the rule of law must also be diligently upheld. In particular, he said, we must reject the cultural fashion that concentrates on the rights of individuals while frequently neglecting their duties to the most vulnerable, including the poor, migrants, the elderly, the sick and the unborn. Meanwhile, Israel's military is again urging Palestinian civilians to leave northern Gaza to avoid being caught up in the expected fighting. During a Sunday briefing, a senior IDF spokesman warning, you are risking your lives if you do not leave. He also noted one Israeli soldier was killed and three more wounded in a raid targeting Hamas fighters near the border. Israel's military said earlier, as I said earlier, it's intensifying its attacks as it prepares for an expected ground invasion. And the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, saying Israel cannot let Hamas stay in a position to be able to launch attacks from Gaza. Israel has both the, the right and even the obligation, not only to defend itself, but to try to make sure that, to the best of its ability, this can't happen again. Speaking on CBS's Face the Nation, he said different ideas on who governs Gaza after the war is over are being discussed right now, but he did not provide any more specifics. Israel completely withdrew from Gaza in 2005, and Blinken says it does not want to govern Gaza. Chris Caraggio tells us Detroit police say the stabbing death of the president of a local synagogue was not linked to anti-Semitism. Police say Samantha Wohl was found stabbed multiple times Saturday morning. Wohl was president of the Isaac Agree Downtown Detroit Synagogue and a former staffer for two Democratic Michigan politicians. Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan says he's devastated by the attack. Police say there is no evidence to suggest it was linked to anti-Semitism and the investigation is ongoing. The chair of the House Intelligence Committee is making it clear that being without a speaker is not delaying USA to Israel. It looks like it'll be about two weeks before that package comes out of the Senate itself. And certainly we all hope we'll have a speaker by that. 
Speaking on CNN's State of the Union, Ohio, Republican Mike Turner says the Senate is taking up the $105 billion aid package for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and the U.S. southern border proposed by the Biden administration. He said he supports the aid package and added the administration has done a very good job in keeping House leaders informed on the war between Israel and Hamas. However, South Carolina Senator and GOP presidential hopeful Tim Scott says he's voting against the package that combines aid for both Israel and Ukraine. Leveraging the challenges in the war with Israel to get more assistance for Ukraine at that level of $60 billion is too much. Speaking on ABC's This Week, he said aid for Israel will go through more quickly if it's voted on separately from Ukraine aid. Scott also stepping up his comments from earlier this week when he said President Biden has blood on his hands regarding Hamas attack on Israel. While he emphasized Hamas is fully responsible for the attacks and loss of lives, he also said the president has shown weakness and has been complicit with Iran. Scott pointing to the White House and the hostage negotiations with Iran, we called the world's number one state sponsor of terrorism. House Republicans are set to meet tonight in their latest efforts to find a speaker. The position has been vacant since Republicans ousted Kevin McCarthy on October 3rd, bringing the business of the House to a standstill. After multiple failed attempts by Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan to win the gavel, lawmakers will hold a candidate forum this evening to evaluate a number of Republican candidates who have thrown their hats into the ring, and an internal vote to find a new candidate is actually set for tomorrow. Scott Carr tells us several Republican members of the U.S. House, meanwhile, are pushing for a unity pledge to help guarantee the election of a new speaker. The two-paragraph pledge is being spearheaded by Congressman from Nebraska, Mike Flood. It calls for Republicans to vote yay for whomever the party backs in the next speaker election on Tuesday. Politico reports a majority of the speaker candidates have signed the pledge. And there's over a dozen House Republicans who've indicated they'd like to be considered for the post. The aim of the pledge, of course, is to avoid the party division that kept Congressman Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise from becoming House Speaker in recent weeks. And former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is now backing House Majority Whip Tom Ember to take over the gavel. We've got a wide open southern border. We've got crushing inflation. We've got war in the Middle East. This is not a moment in time to play around with learning on the job. The Minnesota Congressman, according to McCarthy, knows how to do the job. He added that Emmer can bring the Republican Party together as well as focus on the country's needs. On Friday, McCarthy nominated Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, who lost a third round of voting and was removed by secret ballot as a GOP nominee. Emmer is among nine House Republicans considered likely candidates for the Speaker position. And Rory O'Neill tells us today, marking 40 years since that deadly bombing of a U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut. The attack happened on a Sunday morning when two truck bombs detonated near the barracks of the multinational force in Lebanon, killing 220 U.S. Marines, 18 sailors, and three soldiers. President Reagan commented from the White House lawn. There are no words to properly express our outrage, and I think the outrage of all Americans, at the despicable act. The bombing was the deadliest single-day death toll for the Marines since the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II. In East Lansing, Michigan, Michigan State University officials apologizing after a photo of Adolf Hitler was displayed on the stadium video board during pregame activities at Saturday's football game against the University of Michigan. The image was shown as part of a trivia question. A school spokesperson said the material provided by a third-party source at the University of no longer use. Michigan State lost to Michigan 49 to nothing. 
A manhunt continues for a suspect accused of shooting two Tennessee police officers. Police say both officers are in stable condition after being shot Saturday afternoon while investigating a stolen vehicle outside a Dollar General store. Authorities say the suspect is John Drake Jr., the estranged son of Metro Nashville Police Department Chief John Drake. In a statement, Drake said he's deeply saddened that his son is involved and his thoughts and prayers are with the officers. The criminal fraud trial against former crypto billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried continues later this week in a Manhattan court. The founder of crypto exchange FTX facing seven criminal charges related to the collapse of the company late last year. Bankman-Fried could face life in prison if he's fully convicted. And the UAW's President Sean Fain says progress is indeed being made in contract talks with GM and Stellantis, but says Ford continues to stew, according to him, about their demands and pretend they can't afford what's being asked for. The wages at all three automakers would rise 23% in the current contract offer. Fain is asking for a 40% raise on all three. He adds GM and Stellantis received their message after the UAW announced the strike at Ford's Kentucky plant. And Aldi supermarkets say they're going to have some big savings for all of us this Christmas season, as Brad Siegel explains. The grocery store chain announced the customers will see price reductions of up to 50% on items across the store beginning November 1st. Aldi's has over 2,000 locations across the country and says the sales will last throughout the holiday season. Seasonal favorites that are likely on your holiday shopping list will be reduced in price, and if you're hosting a holiday meal with family or friends, the extra savings could ensure you stick to your grocery budget. It will be a welcome relief for many. The USDA reports that grocery costs are up 3% compared to last year. It is a Monday morning. Great to be with you on Catholic Connection, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. We've got great programming as always all throughout the day, so make sure you stay tuned right here, EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net. So what does it mean to be a servant spouse? Gosh, you know, it sounds, ooh, could you think it's negative maybe that you are looked at as a servant? That's not what it means. And they have that beautiful Catholic hymn, Will You Let Me Be Your Servant? Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may find the grace to let me be your servant too. It is serving in love. It's not serving in lording things over the spouse. There's such a misunderstanding of that. And that's why I'm so glad that Greg and Julie decided to discuss it. And we have all great information coming up from this wonderful couple of the Alexander House on being a servant spouse. That's up next. And then after, Greg and Julie will be chatting with the Parents Television Council about why there's such a lack of programming, family programming more specifically, out there in all these different streaming services. So many choices, right? But not that much when it comes to family. And then we'll wrap up, as we always do on a Monday, with our scripture verse of the week from our Gail Buckley from Catholic Scripture Study International. Great to be with you on a Monday morning and every day here at Catholic Connection on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We'll be right back on a Monday. Stay tuned. Resetting your password, unsubscribing from emails, printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. Can smelling certain scents improve our memories? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. When my wife and I had COVID in late 2020, we both lost our sense of taste and smell. 
In my case, I continued to have issues with my sniffer for a few months. Then I read a study that suggested smelling bold scents could help restore the connection between the nose and the brain. Sure enough, smelling fresh lemons every day seemed to help me recover. No wonder I love the aroma of lemons and incense. Another study, though, indicates that older folks who smelled fragrant essential oils got better sleep and improved memory and thinking. Brain scans confirm they got better. Be careful, though. Some essential oils can be harmful if inhaled over time. Always consult your doctor. Side note, from Genesis 2 to Revelation 18, there are more than 200 references to perfume, odor, and smell. For more on the study, look for our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. 17 minutes past the hour. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. Technology is great when it works. A few bumps in the road this morning, technology-wise, but we are here and excited to talk with our friends, Greg and Julie Alexander of the beautiful marriage ministry, the Alexander House. They try to join us. They're so busy. We're glad they're there for so many couples in need, but they do try to join us at least once a month, and they come up with great topics based on what they're dealing with out there with couples. And so I love this summary, as I was mentioning to Greg during the break, the servant spouse. There's such a misunderstanding, as I said a few minutes ago, about what that means. So Greg and Julie, thanks for joining us. And, and Greg, let's talk about that, because this idea of being a servant in this culture, when I'm all about me and I want to do what I want, people really misunderstand that when it comes to a relationship, don't they? Oh, big time, Teresa. In fact, it reminds me of the time when we were in California, and uh, Julie made mention of how many wives want to be submissive, and all the ladies started looking at each other and kind of shrugging their shoulders and scrowls on their faces. And Julie said, well, I understand that if you look at submissive, what the world thinks about it, she said, I don't blame you. She said, but let's go back and reclaim that word. And she talked about how sub means to fall under, mission to carry out with duty and authority. And what we're uh, called to submit to is our husbands loving us like Christ loved the church. All of a sudden, all the hands went up, and the lady was smiling and laughing because, you know, they, they only saw that word based on the definition of the world. So when you hear words like submission or submit, we think of it with that negative connotation and don't see it as a beautiful thing. But, in fact, God calls us to do so because it is a beautiful thing. In fact, in Ephesians 5.21, it talks about how we are to submit to each other out of reference for Christ. So God mm-hmm. would, wouldn't call us to do something if it was not a good thing. Amen. Uh, Julie, give, give me sometimes what, what women say, just as Greg said, and, and how much of the world has affected our thinking on this, do you think? Too much of the world, Teresa. It's sad because you understand that the um, the actuality of it, it has become such a competition in our world against each other, against sexes, against everything, and now to include against spouses. And instead of becoming that servant spouse, as we say all the time in our workshops and when we work with couples, Christ said it best. I came to serve and not to be served. And so people look at that word in a sense, they're like, oh, no way. No, I'm not doing that. Well, that's what you signed up for. <laughs> when you said I do, it was all exciting to say, oh, yes, Lord, yes, whatever it is, whatever we can do. But that is exactly what we promised God. You know, what, what's so incredible is God created in us 
a servant heart. He created us to serve. And when we don't serve or we fail to serve, to serve or we even deny service to another, we stop understanding who we truly are and what our purpose is on this life, on this, on this earth. But our culture, our world has seeped into every aspect, every heart, every relationship, every marriage. And you can see that, Teresa, when literally you, you start to look at the statistics. And every 13 seconds, that's every 13 seconds, there is a divorce that happens. Mm, that's 277 divorces every hour, which consists of 6,646 divorces per day which is 2.4 divorces per year, or 2.4 million divorces a year. And how do we get there? Because we fail to do what God asked us to do, is to serve one another. Wow. Talking with Julie and Greg Alexander from the Alexander House, the servant spouse is our topic. So, Greg, you've given us, both you and Julie provided some great points. Let's start with uh, number one, where the role of emotional needs in marriage. Yeah, it's critical. You know, Teresa, we're doing this. Uh, just by default when we first get married because we're so into the other person. You know, we're saying the right things, we're doing the right things, we're putting our best feet forward to attract the other person. It's just that, unfortunately, after we get married and we start to engage in our careers and start having kids and all the other things involved in the marriage relationship, it's almost as if we go away from doing the things that we did when we first came together. So, in essence, we stop meeting each other's emotional needs, Teresa, because when those emotional needs are met, we feel that sense of value and worth in the eyes of our beloved. And when we're made to feel that way, there's nothing we won't do for our beloved. But on the converse, when our needs are not being met, negative needs are, are kind of deposited into you in the relationship. And, and the result of negative needs is that I don't feel loved. I don't feel valued. I don't feel secure in this relationship. And that in and of itself kind of causes us to, to act in these negative ways. And, and it starts to play out things like um, uh, inability to talk, not wanting to talk, becoming easily frustrated, uh, easily irritated, becoming depressed, maybe not wanting to eat or overeating. Anything that we can do to kind of get involved in what I call escapism and try to find a fulfillment in something else that we're no longer getting from our spouse. And, and that's right. the negative implication when we stop meeting each other's emotional needs. Julie, then you discuss, which is super important, understanding the emotional needs of your spouse because they could be quite different from your own, correct? Yes, 99.9% of the time they are. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what's amazing, Teresa, the the needs are important for us to even recognize in and of ourselves because when we get married, a lot of times we don't even have our own identity, so we put our identity in the other person. It should be found Mm. in God first. But, you know, we, we grow up, we live life, we meet in college or, or people before that or after that, but we don't really know who we are. And when you see how we were formed in our homes growing up, and we all have God-given needs that were supposed to be nurtured and, and expressed and, and given when we were growing up as infants, as teenagers, as, as young adults. And so we're here. I always go back to the, the statement God did not mean for man to be alone. And when we, when we are not, when we're not married yet and we're searching for the beloved, we're searching for another, there's hope in the, in the desire to find someone who will complete us, if you will. And when there's, when you're married and you're alone, there's nothing more devastating in the world. So when we don't meet each other's needs and understanding even our own needs and who we are to express that to the other, then there's this, 
I would say just this emptiness that we can't quite put our finger on, and we try to, again, we, going on trips is great, buying things for each other is great, going to dinner is great. But then why, when we do those things, is there still this underlying frustration, irritation, and division between us because we're not tapping into the heart of the marriage, which is exactly where the needs begin? Yeah, and if I could add, Teresa, it's very critical to understand these needs that each other has. So, for example, you know, during our time of difficulty, Julie came home from work one day, and I expressed to her the fact that I just didn't feel love in the relationship. And her response was, well, what are you talking about? I go to work, I bring home a paycheck, I cook, I clean, I take care of the kids. How can you say that I don't love you? I said, easy, because those things aren't love for me. For mm. me, love was sitting on the couch, holding hands, massaging, uh, cuddling up, watching a little bit of TV. But for Julie, where she grew up, love was demonstrated by acts of service. So she was doing everything she knew to be love. However, it wasn't translating into love for me because that was not my way of, of what love was. And so there is that need to come together to, to discuss each other's emotional needs, what they look like and sound like, so you know what exactly we need to do to minister to the heart of our beloved. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that the acts of service, for example, are a bad thing, because that is a true way to show up to someone, but you have to understand that that's how they view it, and so, so you can accept it or maybe even help them, you know, show them what you need more. But I think once you understand that someone truly wants to take care of you and help out, I think that makes a difference, too. More with Julie and Greg Alexander. The Alexander House will give you their website, how to get in touch with them. We're talking about being a servant spouse. Next, we're going to discuss signs of unmet emotional needs and a strategy for meeting those emotional needs and more as we wrap up our monthly mornings on marriage with Julie and Greg Alexander, thealexanderhouse.org. We'll be right back on a Monday. Stay tuned. minutes past the hour. So appreciate the beautiful ministry of Julia Greg Alexander and the Alexander House. They wrote the foreword for a book by me and Deacon Dom called Intimate Graces, How Practicing the Works of Mercy Can Help Your Marriage. And that came out a while ago from Ave Maria Press, and it's on my website if you're interested. They also have a beautiful book that they wrote together, which is uh, Marriage 911, How God Saved Our Marriage. It can save yours too, and you can find that on their website, thealexanderhouse.org. Talking today about the servant spouse, what does that mean? It is not negative despite what the world wants us to think, that being a servant in some way, what was Jesus? Jesus was the greatest servant, the high priest, but came to serve, not to be served, as he said. So when we are servants to each other, we are doing this out of love, not out of lording it over someone. And we're talking now about emotional needs, the role of emotional needs in marriage, and then, Greg, going into the next segment as we wrap up, signs of unmet emotional needs. So what happens in couples when those needs needs are not met? Yeah, these are some of the things I was alluding to earlier, Teresa, you know, the quick temper, easily irritated, being becoming frustrated. You know, when we start to see those things manifest in a relationship for us, it's a clear sign of the fact that their emotional needs are not being uh, paid attention to. And as Julie alluded to as well, you know, many times we don't, ourselves, we don't even know what those things are. And so we have to really spend a lot of time with couples, allowing them to understand what the needs are and, and the importance of them. Because what starts to happen you know, at first are the things that I mentioned, but if we don't find resolve for those unmet needs, then we start to, to kind of transition into escapism uh, and where we start indulging ourselves in work, drugs, alcohol, infidelity, pornography, anything that we can get into that gets us away from the problems and tensions that have been mounting in the marriage, 
But also now those things we turn to, we start to rely on for a sense of fulfillment for us, for the things that we should be getting from our spouse. And that's when we start to see couples running to priests or therapists trying to find some resolve because they're turning to these alternative uh, solutions, if you will, to find the fulfillment, again, that they should be getting from each other. Julie, your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's so true, Teresa, and we don't even recognize it because we're not told about this. I think what you said earlier reminds me, you're always so good with music, Teresa, but it reminds me of that Janet Jackson song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? For Me Lately. And I remember, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember uh, that we, I used to think that, you know, it's like I, I, I met Greg and I got into this marriage thinking, okay, what is he going to do for me? He does so much for me. And then all of a sudden that wanes and you're like, well, wait a minute, where is he? he what has he done for me lately? Where is he at? Where, where is he going? What is he doing with his time and his, his energy? Well, it's it's not that we have to spend 24-7 with each other and doting on each other but all of the time, but it's the, 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 the importance of finding what makes the other person's heart feel like they are important, like they are cared for. It's the order of priority, Teresa. It's God first because he is the source of the grace we need to be able to be what we need for each other, and then each other as spouses and then children and everything else after that. For when we take it out of order, there's chaos and disorder. So often the man, I'm just going to use this as, a, as an example, the man goes off to work and every minute of his day is spent with working and he comes home and he's tired and he doesn't really have time to talk or be with his wife. And then the wife delves into taking care of the children and doing activities and things like that at home and running around, doesn't have the energy left for her husband. So when we do not give time and attention to one another, then our hearts become cold and I go back to, especially in Catholic couples, I don't know why we see this so often, but we, we hear often, oh, I went to adoration and prayed that God change him. I go to Mass every day and pray that they are different. And our question is, but have you talked to your spouse? Well, right. no. Like, as if God's going to come down and talk to them for me. And, and so yeah. I think that that faith without works is dead. We say that often. Faith is great. We have to have faith in God and our sacraments and all that. But without the works, without doing something for each other, it's dead. Our hearts are dead, and it needs mm. to be revitalized by doing for each other. So, Greg, you provide a strategy, and I'm sure that these, these notes, these excellent notes that you've shared with me for our discussion today, are things you bring up with the couples with whom you're working, correct? Uh, absolutely, Teresa. In fact, despite whatever else the couple, even when there's infidelity, even when there's infidelity and children born out of that relationship, this session that we cover with couples we call the U-turn session because it allows them to come to know what it is that I need to be doing to tap back into the feelings of being in love in the, in the marriage in the first place. And as we all know, love is not about the feeling. It's that, that conscious decision we have to make to say and do the right things that will minister to the needs of our beloved. However, when those things are said and done, the byproduct, if you will, are the feelings. So we, we can't get so much caught up in the feelings. We have to really focus on what it is that needs to be said and done in the relationship. And, Teresa, you, you can go on the Internet and anywhere and, and just do a search for emotional needs and, and get those emotional needs and, say, maybe take 10 and then give each other the opportunity to identify for yourself what you feel to be those top five emotional needs that you feel that you need in the order of, of priority. And as you get those needs, begin to express to the other person, what do they look like, what do they sound like? In other words, what do I need my spouse to physically do to fulfill this need, and what do I need to hear my spouse say in order for that need to be fulfilled as well. And, and we've been doing this long enough to know that we have to throw in that disclaimer. As long as what your spouse is requesting is good, righteous, and moral, 
right. should not be a reason. I was just going to say that. that. Yeah. Mhm. <laughs> I'm sure you see it, right? Well, it's it's it has to be according to to scripture and according to the teachings of the church. As I said earlier, this whole idea of servanthood it, it is is loving that person because you're going to be walking with them and helping them. Our role as a spouse is to help them get to heaven. But so much, even even in Christianity, that's twisted often. Well, no, I'm going to do this, and this is what I want. So therefore, you have to do it, and it's okay because that's how I have my emotionally needs met. When it could be something that is not only harmful but sinful, but maybe even addictive. God forbid. Yeah, exactly, Teresa. And I want to also just give a thanksgiving to those people that are in a marriage where, you know, there it's whether physical, emotional, some type of blockage for their other person. Like maybe there's a, there's a physical ailment that they cannot, their spouse cannot serve them. Well, God bless them that they are there to serve the other, uh, through thick and thin, sickness and health, good times and bad times, because that's what we promised God we'd do, because it is my thought, my understanding that when we see God face to face, and we'll be with him by ourselves. And he asks us each that question, Julie, how well did you take care of my son, Gregory? Mm. Well, God, you saw him. You saw what he did. You saw, <laughs> there, there will be no excuses. How well did I care and nurture and be a steward to the heart and soul of his son, Gregory? And it is my job because I signed up and said I do to that very question. Wow. That's really something to think about. Okay, Greg, we have about a minute left. Any any wrap-up thoughts for you? Well, the only thing I, I maybe want to say is uh, look at this as an opportunity for us to allow our spouse to experience God's love in and through us. And so as we're dying to ourselves, which is what love is, demonstrated by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we die to ourselves for the sake of the other person. I am allowing Julie to experience God's love, care, and forgiveness in and through me as the person that God has called her to be her pathway to heaven, to spend the rest of her earthly life with here on earth as her beloved. Mm, that's powerful. All right, you two lovebirds, great job. I, I so appreciate the points that you share with us because you're very specific based on what you're seeing in couples today, and it really helps us think, even if we have a good marriage or a great marriage, if we're still here, God's out there with us yet, with, with us yet. and it always helps us to kind of reboot, as we say in the techno- technological world, and to say, okay, have I fallen off in this area? Is this something I need to revisit? Even, as I said, if you have a very, very good marriage. So, Greg, the best place to find you, and if folks need help with their marriage, what's the website again? TheAlexanderHouse.org. That's T-H-E, AlexanderHouse.org. All right, great information, very helpful, always based on the teachings of the church and scripture, as it should be. We'll be right back, learning more about the lack of family programming, all these choices out there, but little when it comes to that type of programming. We'll take a look with the Parents Television Council, up next on a Monday morning edition of Catholic Connection. Stay tuned. minutes past the hour. It's a Monday. It's October 23rd, 2023. So appreciate your listenership to the EWTN and Ave Maria Radio Networks co-producing this program. We are having a hard time. It was one of those days, you know, where sometimes you just can't, things just don't work technology-wise. We can't get a hold of uh, Melissa Henson, and we had some issues at the top of the hour, but it's okay. It's all good. It's live radio. It's what happens. I did want to chat with you about the beautiful homilies that were given by our spiritual director for our Wine and Shrine pilgrimage for 2023, which I was planning on doing toward the end of the week, but it's in front of me, and I shared it this morning with the listeners in the first hour of Catholic Connection, so maybe... God wants me to share it this morning right now. So beautiful thing about pilgrimage is normally on Catholic pilgrimages, and I hope this is the case if you do a pilgrimage, 
that you have mass availability every day. Now, sometimes people will go on their own and they will go to the local masses at the various churches in whatever country they're visiting, but oftentimes they don't get an English mass, so it may be difficult. You'll have your Magnificat. I think she's calling in. You have your Magnificat, and so you can follow along, but it's not quite the same thing as having someone, if you don't understand the language, give you a homily actually in English, so it means a lot more. So some of the topics we covered this week on our pilgrimage included uh, we all come with baggage and Andrew if you could just tell Melissa that we'll have to catch up with her since I've already started this theme and this is how we go with live radio but anyway the first homily he gave us was about pilgrimage and the baggage that we bring now we all bring bags with us right when we travel and hopefully you travel more lightly than not because it become a real pain to travel with a ton of stuff trust me I travel a lot But his father said, some of us with too much and others traveling more lightly. So God desires us to let go of the baggage, to unburden us. We are, for our part, in need of discernment, to realize what we need to let go of, to loosen our grip, and to retain what serves God in our true identity. He kept repeating this all week long, reminding us that we are all sons and daughters of the King of Kings, and that pilgrimage should be a time of renewal, to be vulnerable once again, and to let new healthy growth take root. Pilgrimage really can be whether you do something, as we always say, locally, nationally, or overseas. And I know many people, unfortunately, are not going to have the opportunity now in the near future to go to the Holy Land, but you can certainly make a pilgrimage to other holy places around the world and in the United States. And it does become, if you allow it to, a true time of renewal versus just a tour of seeing beautiful churches and religious sites to be vulnerable once again and let new healthy growth again take root and the next homily that I thought was super powerful is he quoted the second century BC Jewish philosopher who said be kind for everyone you meet is engaged in a great battle this is a second century BC Jewish philosopher who said this be kind for everyone you meet is engaged in a great battle and Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun how many times do all of us and we're all guilty of this myself included Sometimes you may want to react very strongly to someone who says something that's either offensive to us or offensive about a particular issue, about what we're concerned. And we jump on them not knowing where they're coming from. Now, it's not possible always to know where everyone is, right? Even those to whom we're very, with whom we're very close. They may not be revealing things, as Julian Gregg just discussed. But I think it's always helpful to take a breath and to give that person the benefit of the doubt and maybe to ask some questions and be kind and ask those questions. So what's troubling you? This seems to bother you. Can you tell me why? Because nine times out of ten, you'll find out if you do sit down and talk to that person that this quote is so true. They're engaged in some sort of a battle. And by battle, I don't mean a physical battle. It could be, God forbid, maybe an addiction or something like that. But normally... It may be coming from an old wound with which they're still dealing or maybe a problem in the family or a problem at work or maybe they're not at their place of faith yet and have a long way to go. But this idea of being kind to one another because everyone you meet is engaged in a great battle. And I know I've noticed in talking with other folks who are in ministry and who are speakers and who deal with the public that we've lost a lot of that kindness since COVID. I don't know what it is. I don't know it's because of the isolation or people have more emotional needs now because of the stress of COVID and again being locked down for so long and the impact that we're seeing from that. 
but there's a lot less kindness going around. And so it was a real great reminder for us to hear that homily from Father John Clockman. Be kind for everyone you meet is engaged in a great battle. And how about this? This is a line actually from the movie Jesus Revolution, which I happened to watch on the way back over to Italy recently. Truth is simple. Truth is quiet. It is lies that are loud. Father John told us that in the spirituality of the Desert Fathers, he reminded that we have authority as baptized members of the body of Christ over our thoughts or suggestions. Those suggestions can either be holy, whose source is God, or our redeemed self, or they can be evil, whose source is the devil, his minions of our fallen nature. He says we're a mixed bag and we are the battleground. So how do we do battle as Christians? First, reject evil thoughts early, often, and consistently, and send them to the foot of the cross. As my mother always said, offer it up to God and put it at the foot of the cross, which is, of course, the place of demonic defeat. And remind yourself again and again your true identity as a beloved daughter of the King of Kings. Now, there were other homilies given, but the one that really touched my heart was this phrase. It's a good one to jot down before we take a break and get Gail on the program. Hindsight brings insight for foresight. Everybody on the pilgrimage loved that. And Father, repeat that, repeat that. Hindsight brings insight for foresight. So reflection and pondering as Mary did. So often we see in Scripture our Blessed Mother pondering. She pondered all these things in her heart, Father said, giving us a glimpse into her interior life where she meditated and contemplated on the life and ministry and death and coming resurrection of her son. So her hindsight, her pondering, brought insight for what? For the future. Hindsight brings insight for foresight. Reflecting or pondering the Annunciation, her awareness of the needs of others, petitioned her son's first miracle, starting Christ's public ministry. She was present in fidelity at the crucifixion united to her son, and while at the foot of the cross, she received us as her sons and daughters, the ones who sins that she hoped in faith would be saved, right? In terms of those sins giving over to God, as we said, put it at the foot of the cross. She was present petitioning with the apostles in the upper room for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that brief life into the bride of Christ. Of course, bringing about the newborn church. Her assumption shared in Christ's glory and resurrection power. All this because she pondered and anticipated all things of salvation history concerning the mission of her son. Hindsight brings insight for foresight. The power of remembering and reflecting. Be sharing more on our pilgrimage in the coming days. Right now we need to take a break and we will also reschedule Melissa Henson. Important research that was recently done by the Parents Television Council on the lack of family programming. We'll get back to that on another day because it's, as we say in the biz, an evergreen story, not going away anytime soon. So it'll still be timely. But we'll take a break and we'll have our scripture verse of the week, which of course is also always timely and insightful. Hindsight brings insight for foresight. Remember that. Stay tuned. Hello, I'm Adora Kassab Ibrahim, broker and owner of Lighthouse Real Estate Group. I would love to guide you with your real estate needs, both residential and commercial. As a family-owned business, I always have your family's best interests at heart. Allow my 25 years of experience to serve you. Please call me today at 248-210-8229 and visit our website, lighthouse-reg.com. That's lighthouse-reg.com. Divine Child is proud to be one of Michigan's largest Catholic co-ed high schools. We offer 40 honors and advanced placement courses, a comprehensive instructional support program, 
over 50 teams in 27 championship sports, nationally recognized arts and competitive STEM and robotics programs. Most importantly, our faith formation programs ensure we put our faith into action. See what it's like to be a Falcon. Join us on Sunday, November 5th for our open house. Visit DivineChildHighSchool.org for more information. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and lighthouse work. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Monday morning, wrapping up our program on this October 23rd with, as we do on Mondays, Gail Buckley from Catholic Scripture Study International. So, Gail, what's in the agenda, scripture verse-wise, for today? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, today we have our verses from John chapter 8, verse 12, and it says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And, of course, it's important to know the setting in which Jesus made this statement, Teresa. It was during the Feast of Tabernacles, which I think you know was one is one of the three most important feast days for the Jews. And at that time, Jerusalem would have been filled with pilgrims. The, the feast went on for like a week, and um, the temple would be filled with light each night from four huge candelabras made of torches of fire, which were erected around the temple. And these candelabras illuminated the, not only the entire temple area, but also the surrounding galleries, you know, that would be packed with pilgrims. And the court area was packed with pilgrims and priests, and it was, it was then that Jesus stood up and said this, that I'm the light of the world. This statement, it would not have been lost on the people, because this, you know, the flaming candelabras were not just simply, you know, lit so that uh, the party could go on all night, but... The light was a powerful symbol. The people, you know, associated light with the presence of God. And this is what made Jesus' statement so profound. For example, you know, in the Old Testament, the Shanika or Shanika cloud, um, you know, was seen as the glory of God. You know, it was a pillar of light at night, which led the Israel on the journey through the wilderness to the promised land. And light was also associated with... Um, great expectation of the coming of the Messiah. The Jewish teachers taught that the name Messiah was light. So Jesus was making the claim that nothing less that he was divine, you know. Mm-hmm. He was telling them that he was the one who had, the, had led the people through the desert and that he was the Messiah that they had longed for, and he had now arrived. So the reality is, you know, the world around us is darkened by sin. But just as God... Uh, you know, was a light that led the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. Jesus will light our way through the darkness here on earth. And, you know, as followers of Jesus, 
you know, we're called to reflect that light. Just as the moon doesn't, you know, produce any light on its own, rather it reflects the light of the sun, we cannot produce light on our own, but rather we reflect the light of the world, which is Jesus. So, you know, Jesus told his disciples, you are the light of the world. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the light of Christ can enter into our lives, and then we can begin to reflect God's glory. And, you know, we also need to remember that Jesus said, one does not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket, but rather they put it on a lampstand and give light to all who are in the house. In other words, we are to share this light with others, the light of truth, which is Jesus. And we need to bring this light, which is Jesus, who is truth, to others. And I think that's a really important thing to remember today when we're in such darkness. Yeah, and I was world. just yeah, I was just talking about Gail. We had a wonderful spiritual director for our pilgrimage, and he was talking mm-hmm. about being kind to people. And I think that light can be reflected. The light of Christ can be reflected just by just by being nice. Sometimes we make it so complicated, and just being kind to people and not automatically nice. assuming the worst, even if you disagree with someone on on an issue. That's true. And just something small said to someone, or a smile, like you said, means so much. I remember something really crazy. When I was in the third grade, this girl told me, you have the most perfect nose. I've never forgotten that, truth. <laughs> <laughs> that was a crazy thing. But just some small thing like that can light up someone's life, you know? Yes. I mean, the day anyway, can make them have a good day, just that someone said something nice to them. And how quickly that we forget those simple things. Again, I think we make it super, super complicated. And being the right. light of Christ, it is just it doesn't mean, you know, obviously sharing the faith and, and maybe inviting someone to Mass. And, but I think it starts, Gail, if you want to be light, we have to start with relationship because no one's going to listen to you if, if you are not kind, if you're rude, or if you're judgmental. So start with Absolutely. a relationship and just extending yourself kindly. Absolutely perfect. That's so true, Teresa. You can't put a wall between people before you try to reach them. You know, you have to be kind and and understanding and empathetic. You know, listen to them as well. Well, great ideas today and great thoughts and reflections from Scripture. So appreciate your work, Gail Buckley, at Catholic Scripture Study International. And God willing, we'll talk to you next week on a Monday. Folks, thanks so much. Hope you're having a great Monday morning. It's good to be back with you behind the microphone. Again, my thanks to my wonderful producer, Andrew Kruchek, and also my guest host, who have helped to cover the uh, airways for me while I was on pilgrimage for our Wine and Shrine 2023. And remember, wine is an acronym, Women in the New Evangelization. We will work on rescheduling, as I mentioned, Melissa Henson, because that's important material that we need to share with you because you need information in order to know what to choose, especially for programming. In addition, obviously, to watching all the great programs on EWTM. We're also going to get some updates later this week on the Synod. I had the opportunity to have pranzo or lunch with Matthew Bunsen, of course, uh, from EWTN News. And, of course, he's there covering the conference, and as is Joan Lewis, and she had dinner with our group on Friday. So we've got these great experts based in Rome who will bring us up to date, and, of course, our Father Mitch with our Culture Connections later in the week. Have a great Monday. God willing, we'll talk to you tomorrow on a Tuesday. A domani. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. 
Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.